<laughs> Lord Chips don't let the salad win. That's the message uh, in terms of uh, nature of the food, maybe, that uh, we consume in Wales compared to the Italians. But it's the Italians who will restart. This is the Eat More Chips podcast. Grab your bag of chips, salt, vinegar, perhaps a battered sausage or a dirty pie, a bit of sauce cork on the side, and let's go! Hello and welcome to the Eat More Chips podcast, the official podcast of one of the most recognisable flags in the Welsh football supporters universe. In a week when Wagner mercenaries decided to take a day trip to Moscow, then change their minds when they realise there isn't a Mackie D's there anymore, our very own guns for hire are ready to change sides, depending on the level of threat and how much money is on offer. So, look out, Fearless and Devotion, Rob Ryan Red, Racecourse Ramble, Final Whistle, Me the Wife from Wrexham FC, Up the Town, and Two Beards of Sheila and Wrexham AFC, as these guys will roll over for a Greg's pasty. It's Jamie and Daz. Evening turncoats. Good evening. Oh. Good evening to you too. Jamie, if that doesn't escalate the so-called pod wars that Fearless were talking about this week, nothing will. Yeah, oh yeah, but they were they were quick to call out it was just banter, it wasn't pod wars. So uh, yeah, no, don't, 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 don't 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 piss them off for God's sake. <laughs> and, and I was gonna say, and, and you guys can have this little battle amongst yourselves up there in North Wales. I'm quite happy yeah. with my little um, middle class world I've made for myself I down think, here, all right? I think they're like the sopranos of the podcast world, so I don't wanna Oh absolutely, yeah. Daz, very quiet on the Wales front this week are they are they hiding under the duvet hoping things will cool down after last week's poor display uh, yeah, I, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, it's less quiet online, as you can imagine, the socials are all going left, right and centre for, for uh, you know, uh, poor Rob Page is getting a bit of a, yeah. a slating. And yeah. what doesn't help is uh, today's announcement announcement of the uh, the FIFA rankings. So uh, oh, well, Now that's hot off the press. I've not seen that. What's the bad news? Oh, well, it's, it is hot off the press. So I think it's the lowest we've been for eight years. Yeah. So, um, 30, 35th, so I think, I think we're 35th. Yeah. 35th. 35th. So we're, cl- we're we're down there. Uh, we've been leapfrogged by Scotland and uh, who's the other notable name that I uh, I can't remember. But we're, but we're closer to those teams that you know in the points ranking. We're much closer to a lot more teams now rather than being in the sort of top twenty, pushing you know closer to England and co, uh, which is a bit of a shame. And that obviously shame. hurts. That hurts then for seedings for the next yeah. set of uh, draws, yeah. of course, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you've only won one game in 12, then that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So none of this should be a surprise. It's just incredibly disappointing. Totally. Well, a couple of things caught our eye this week. Evan Powell on Twitter appropriated our flag, editing the image. So it was now said, eat more meal deals, don't let Labour win. <laughs> Daz, what are your feelings on our beloved flag being hijacked? I mean, obviously... Uh... Right. So there's two parts to this. So one is defacing uh, an institution that's, you know, I've, I, I, there's, there's, you know, there are, you know, you can go to prison for certain things like that. So, you know, so, so, so we have to be very careful. But then the, the, the message now, as a meal deal fan, I mean, I am prone to the odd meal deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a tricky one, but I'm not a fan of it being used as 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 Tory propaganda. No. If assuming this person Plaid is a Tory, Cum- I think with Plaid Cymru, I think to be honest, rather really, than, yeah, oh, I, I think see. So, I th- I think there could be more spirited sort of conversation about to be had with Plaid Cymru, mm-hmm. but but uh, I I I don't agree with it being an anti-Labour. I don't like that. It's not it's not what it's there for. So uh, yeah, but uh, it was it did um, it did. Uh, 
uh, interest. It was quite interesting, and it did sort of uh, become a talk of uh, some socials as well. Um, so the resounding note is hands off the flag, please. Um, on a lighter note, uh, we were delighted that this week that Andrew Chalice, well well known Welsh poet and self confessed football nut, wrote a poem about our heartfelt message. Andrew has read poems, read his poems across Welsh media, so it's a real honour for us to have a poem written by him. And here is stage and screen star, presenter on Wrexham's premium community radio station, Canon FM, Andrew Snowden, to read at Tweet More Chips. Don't let salad win. Eat more chips and get stuck in. A more appealing dish alongside a lovely bit of fish. You can keep your hummus and your dips. Come on, Cymru, eat more chips. What a present that boy has. No expense was spent on this pod. <laughs> My thanks go to Andy and his stage and screen show is on Callan FM every Saturday between 12 noon and 3pm. So you can listen to it online just before the footy. Daz, not too shabby, eh? Not too shabby. I've not, I've not uh, heard that. So that was quite nice to sort of, uh, uh, nice surprise for us there. Thank you. Um, yeah, not too shabby. I think that's, you see, now that's the message in all its essence, in the spirit of the message uh, as it was intended rather than uh, doctoring it for, for other purposes. So I think that's, I approve, very much approve. Jamie, you know, in, in this in this world now where social media is everything, us getting a poem presence, that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? The poem was was brilliant. The, uh, the 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 production costs on this podcast are getting out of hand, though. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how much you're paying Andy to do that. Jesus. <laughs> well, uh, our sincere thanks go to Andy and also to Andrew for the wonderful poem. Now he lives a couple of valleys over from me, so I will buy him a Wrexham lager the next time I see him. The church, the hallowed ground, the Kairas, you can try and sell off the racehorse ground, we shall not be moved. The cold road stand, the tech end, the Yale stand, the Macron stand, the border stand, the cop, the Price Griffiths stand, the Wrexham Lager stand, the Rex Rent stand, the loyal Canadian Red stand, the Marston stand, the Cash for Gold stand, the Glindor University Racecourse Stadium, the Stoke Racecourse, Kairasi, my racecourse. Many names, but for nearly 160 years, one field. Revered by fans, hated by rival fans. It has seen many memorable wins, giant killings, national triumphs and bitter disappointments. Today, the name Racecourse is indelibly linked with Wrexham AFC and most Wrexham fans couldn't and wouldn't imagine a future without the Dragons or, depending on your age, the Robins playing there. The Racecourse ground, or a Kairas in the language of God, is the largest stadium in North Wales and fifth largest in Wales. The ground has been the home of Wrexham AFC since 1864 and has hosted our national Welsh side since 1877, making it officially the oldest international football stadium in the world still in use today. In fact, the Kairas has hosted Wales 94 times, the most Welsh international football games in our history. Six more than the now demolished Ninian Park in Cardiff and 44 more than the current Welsh home, the Cardiff City Stadium. As well as football, the Kairas has hosted flying, in fact almost being turned into Wrexham Aerodrome by the council in the early 20th century, rugby league, rugby union and concerts, the first of which was Motorhead in 1982, which apparently was so loud it weakened the structure of the main stand and concerts were not hosted again for a number of years. Jamie, growing up in Wrexham, as we both did, 
How important was the presence of the race course in the town? You, you said it there during that um, rather emotional uh, uh, intro. Um, church is what it is. I think for anyone, anyone from Wrexham, it's the church. It's it's an icon, isn't it? Um, and it, I think it's it's so um, special that that our current owners recognise the importance of the heritage and the history of our ground, and and want to not only obviously preserve it, but but build literally build on it to improve it but 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 always remembering you know what what came before although when you just mentioned the the, the field there the same pitch that you said there i couldn't help but think of triggers broom off only fools and horses because it's not the same pitch is it <laughs> so 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 for any international listeners who who won't know what the hell i'm on about there is a there was a, an old sitcom in the uk called only fools and horses which you may or may not have heard i was a bit obsessed with it when i was younger and uh, there's a character in it called Trigger who's a little bit um, simple, shall we say? And simple it, uh, is probably the right thing to and, say. And, yeah. what, and what I would suggest is Google or YouTube uh, Trigger's Broom, Only Fools and Horses. And when you watch that skit, you'll understand why I think it's funny to think that it's uh, what, what I'm talking about here. But, uh, but yeah, no, nah, it's, it's, it's hallowed, hallowed turf, isn't it? Literally hallowed ground. I mean, the importance of the race course, though, as well, is, you know, as you come off the bypass and you drive into Wrexham, it's the f- it's pretty much the first major thing you see, apart from Glyndew University, the old Yale College. It's it's there. It's it's the first thing you see almost, isn't it? The gateway to the town. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's like I say, it's 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 iconic, isn't it? It's 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 the like you couldn't I couldn't say it any better. It is the gateway to the town. It, it always has been, um, and and hopefully it always will be. Um, you know, driving dri- driving even now, and 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 I genuinely, you know, I genuinely mean it. It, it. it always, you know, whenever I drive toward it, past it, which isn't as often these days, because I don't live in directly in the area, but it, you, you know, you can't help but be a little bit um, uh, kind of in awe of it. It's 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 phenomenal. Well, the field itself was established for horse racing on the 29th of September 1807, hence being known locally as the Racecourse. The other ever-present part of the ground, of course, is the Turf Hotel. Its first incarnation was built on the site between 1840 and 1844. Later, a grandstand was built next to the turf along the racecourse's start-finish straight, which eventually became the first rickety wooden incarnation of the Mould Roadstand. Horse racing on this site lasted until about 1857. Cricket was also played on this site, and it's these cricketers, while looking for something to do in the off-season, that would meet in the turf in 1864 and form Wrexham Football Club. The first ever football match played on the Kairas was on the 22nd of October 1864, where Wrexham played the Prince of Wales Fire Brigade. Wrexham have continued to play on the racecourse ever since, bar a short spell between 1881 and 1883 due to an increase in rent, which means they decided not to play there and played instead on the nearby recreation ground in Rosty. And of course, the general football cancellations during the two world wars. Daz, outside of South Wales, and of course, beloved Park Avenue, home of the Black and Greens, <laughs> how prestigious is the Kairas to Welsh football? 
Oh, I think it's it holds a very, very dear place. I mean, I do think uh, that you're right. I I always think of it as the gateway to Wrexham. I always look forward to seeing it when I go that way. And it's it's such a, you know, I didn't even notice there was a university next to it for so many years because my eyes were always just completely set on the on the ground as being a football fan. But but I think I get that feeling from any football fan, you know, and 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 us from the West and South absolutely respect the fact that Wrexham is is the ground it is its history but but i think because because so many games historically were pe- played at the race course that the the legacy of the welsh national team is is sort of um uh, into interwoven into into the race course and and i and i just think it's a shame that we're not getting enough uh, we've had this conversation before, but mm. you know it's, it is a shame that it, it, we don't use it more often for international games. But 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 there have been such key moments, up, you know, if not only you know to see Sparky's amazing volley, mm-hmm. you know, amongst many great moments that I remember from within my lifetime. Um, it would you know it it will always hold a special place in the hearts of Welsh fans. And and I think that uh, for considering that there's a strong strong football supporting you know Welsh fa- fan base in North Wales, they will always see Rex, uh, the racecourse as their mecca for Welsh football. Even now, even though currently they all travel all those miles to come and watch Wales play in the south, um, I that they absolutely uh, see Wrexham as 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 their home of Welsh football. Apart from the wooden mould road stand. Little permanent improvements were made to the racecourse until 1952, which saw the laying down of concrete terracing on the ever-popular east side of the ground. It had been known as the Town End, Crispin Lane End or Station End, but most obviously know it as the Cop. Many grounds of this age had a Cop, with Liverpool's Anfield having one of the most famous ones. The Cop refers to a Boer War battle in South Africa on a hilltop called Spiencop. British forces were defeated and the name Cop became synonymous as a steep terrace to be defended. As a mark of respect, many UK football grounds had a Cop and many, including Liverpool, Blackpool, Sheffield United, Northampton Town, Preston North End and Leeds United, still do. Jamie, now our Cop very recently has disappeared. How important do you feel it is that whatever is built in its place retains the name the cop Ooh, now there's a question um yeah i think yes of course i would like to see and hope it would be the something cop um you know there's going to be a a sponsor in there of sorts isn't there but uh yeah i i think given how how um rob and ryan um, like I was saying before, I've, I've, I've learned the the importance of the uh, you know of the stadium and the history and things. Um, I, I'd be very very surprised if it didn't uh, retain the name the Cop, um, you know, along with a lucrative lucrative sponsor. But does it need to for, for you guys to be able to still call it the Cop? Have the the traditional cops because I, I understand cops being a single. Uh, it's a single tier. It's, it's from front to back, one tier, I believe. I'm not correct. sure if all the cops correct still have that, but I think that was the origin. That was the origin. Um, yeah. and, and it still remains true at the mighty Anfield, and it was clearly the same at at, at, Rex, at the race course for so long. The new stand is, though, isn't it? 
Um, if you look at the artist designs, yes, it is one. It is one slope. It's one entire one slope. It's an entirety. It's not kind of like a a lower tier and upper tier. Yeah. it's just one slope, a la a cop. Well, then that suggests to me that they've done exactly what you said, then Jamie, which is they have bought into the history. They've understood that because the the, the logic financially would be to get more seats in there, and the easiest way to do that is to bank a few tiers and get get your fans you know you can get more you can get more fans into an area if you so they've obviously gone against maximizing and they've gone for the tradition which again just shows how in tune and how intuitive uh, an ownership you've got which is great well, 1959 saw the introduction of floodlights. They were 100 feet high in the four corners of the ground, and they had a 14-foot high lamp holder on top, which originally contained five banks of six 1,500-watt lamps. Rumours were that they were bought from Manchester United for the princely sum of £14,000, equivalent to £269,000 in today's money. Around this time, the biggest ever attendance for a football match at the Kairos was made in a fourth-round FA Cup tie versus Manchester United, which saw a crowd of, wait for this, 34,445 fans pack out the ground. Jamie, we, we're there on a match day and how busy it is when there are 10,000 in there. How mad must it have been when there were nearly 35,000 in there? Oh, Jesus Christ, it'd be, uh, it'd be nuts, wouldn't it? I mean, you definitely wouldn't be able to get a pie and a pint then, would you? Christ almighty. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Uh, do you know what? It, it, it's hard to even imagine, isn't it? I mean, like you've said, it's safe to say that the current kind of um, infrastructure and setup of of the ground can't accommodate the the, the ten, you know the ten thousand that we see there at the minute. So God only knows what it, what used to happen then. I I just you know it's uh, God knows. Before before the cop uh, closed, what was your highest capacity at that stage? Because obviously you know obviously we don't fifteen thousand five hundred. That's what it used to be. That's, and, what, it, and that's, that's what it was when the cop was closed. Right. And then when you're reopening it, it'll go back to something similar again. It'll go back to 15,500. And then when they release the restrictions on the new cop, 16,500. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's 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 good numbers. You know, you, you need, you know, it as a club that's growing, you, you, you absolutely need to have... Uh, have those kind of numbers just to you know like i say your fan base and and your season ticket is you know the issues you've got you need as many seats as you can get so that's good in 1962 the cop saw an additional platform on stilts built partly above it known as the pigeon loft it housed 600 seats and provided partial shelter for those standing on the cop costing four thousand pounds it had an asbestos roof and was the old balcony from the town's majestic cinema Fans didn't warm to it, as apparently the views inside there were really, really bad, and it was demolished at the end of the 70s and replaced with a full-length roof over the cop. Jamie, this was before you were born. I barely remember it. Can you imagine what it must have been like having this rickety 600-seat thing sitting above the old cop? I, I, I've seen pictures of it. Like you say, I'm much too youthful for to remember that. Um, <laughs> but I've seen pictures of it, and it makes me chuckle because it, you know, the only thing I can really imagine what it must have been like, right, is we've all been to dodgy fun fairs, right? And you get those fun houses where you've got like the wobbly floors. <laughs> I'm thinking it was probably like that, where where you went in and it was a case of all having to walk in unison because if you walk in different directions, the thing would probably shake. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised that nobody liked that, to be honest with you. It, it looked bloody horrendous. I can't believe they charged people to go in there. 
I mean, the Majestic was the predecessor of the Hippodrome, and we remember the Hippodrome, Jamie, and that was a real flea pit. So can you imagine can you imagine what the seats were like that had come out of there to go into an open stand? I, I, no, I can't imagine it. I, I, I can't imagine it. I, 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 like I say, I, I get upset going to the ground now if I stand in some chewing gum, but that must have been bloody awful. Yeah, I... I can't. I can't imagine it. I'm trying. You, your description is is fascinating me, and I'm thinking, how, how? And I love the fact that it was, you know, of its time, asbestos. Of course it yeah, was. Of course it was. Of course it was. It looked Definitely. like a treehouse, didn't it? It looked like a tree. It, it, it looked like yeah. somebody a glorified yeah. treehouse. Yeah, that's it, exactly it, what it was. It looked like your uncle Bob had knocked it up with some two by four and thought, yeah, let's let's get a few fans in here. It was bloody awful. Well, in 1972, to mark the club's first venture into Europe, the north side of the ground was developed. And the Yale stand was built, now known as the Wrexham Lager Stand, with a capacity of 4,200, backing on to where Yale College used to be. The stand provided new dressing rooms, club offices and entertainment suites, and the Centenary Club is also located there. After promotion to the old second division in 1978, the west side of the ground got a makeover, and the Border Stand was built, taking its name from Border Breweries, which owned the ground at the time. This part of the ground is now known as the Tech End, where visiting supporters used to be seated before the closure of the COP in 2008. The last major change before recent events was in 1999, after grant aid from Sportlot, a Welsh development agency, and the Football Trust together with local sponsorship allowed for the construction of a new stand on the south side of the ground to replace the now ageing and dilapidated Mould Road stand. The new structure was originally named the Price Griffiths Stand after the then chairman, but is now known as the Macron Stand and has a capacity of 3,500. It also contains hospitality and conferencing facilities. At the same time, the tech end went from semi-standing, because at the bottom of the stand was the standing, the top was seated, to an all-seated stadium, which brought the then capacity of the entire ground to 15,500. Daz, at that point in 1999, Millennium Stadium was just opening, The v- Swansea was still playing at the Vetch, Cardiff was still playing at Ninian Park, Wrexham now had this modern stadium and it was really something to be proud of both on a domestic and an international level wasn't it yeah yeah and and I and I think uh that you know you're talking about the numbers there and you're talking that it was obviously it was coming off the back of a time when standing and seating you know uh the, the rules were different in different divisions and stuff so you know it was a real mix and match so for it to be you know properly you know developed and uh, seating capacities and um and uh, uh yeah no i i hadn't realized that there was just so much you know so much significant change in the way that it you know that it evolved in that way here's a question for you both you talk we've talked a little bit about standing right and this is i'm not and this is not like it to, to stir anything controversial. This is much more of a nostalgic thing. But you've obviously, you're both old enough to have been uh, at games on a standing capacity. Do you miss it? I thought about this fairly recently because I was in a similar situation. Uh, if you'd have asked the 25-year-old me, I'd have said, yes, absolutely, definitely miss it. It, t- it takes away a lot of the atmosphere of a game. Uh, you know, it takes away the excitement the sweaty bodies and everybody coming together and moving on mass. It was great. If you ask a 50 year old me, I was, I would be terrified and of if, going into a standing situation. And if I ask a 70 year old you, which you are now, I don't think I'll be that old. No, I think <laughs> I'll probably, I'll probably be the same. I would, I would avoid that in the plate. The only reason I say that is because I, I was at the last match of the season at Torquay, at, um, at uh, Torquay, 
mm-hmm. uh, and to- the away end is all standing at Torquay. And there were a lot of us in there. And at one point, I really felt uncomfortable. A younger me would absolutely be in the middle getting in, getting stuck in. But a much older me, now knowing what I know, because obviously, you know, Daz, we remember the Heisel mm-hmm. Stadium, you know, yeah. the, 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 the Bradford fire, you know, and of course, the, you know, the Hillsborough disaster, which was appalling. Now we know what we know. Would you say we're a little bit cautious with age? Yeah, I, th- I think I think so, and I and I also have an added advantage of of ex- recently experiencing that whole uh, taking young kids to football as well. Um, I think I would have been a very nervous parent taking my kids to football if if because there's only you know there's only so much you can see if everybody else is standing around. So they would have been standing on the on the chairs or standing on back. Well, they wouldn't be. They do they do try and stand on chairs now, but you know they 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 would have had to have been on people's shoulders and all of that. I mean, it just felt. The, the the idea of it now in a in a in a in a modern day does scare me a little. I do I do understand that a lot of you know you only have to look at the Welsh international team and many other grounds where there are sections of the stand where they won't sit down as much as the stewards will say you've got to sit down. There's one person per seat. They 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 they, they just stand up. But at least you've got spacing. You've got some sort of barrier. You've got a chair behind you or whatever. And of course, with the new introduction of the new safe stands, um, where it gives you the option to sit or to stand and still be protected, that's clearly an in, a, a technology coming in to help pres- uh, uh, to defend and protect the culture of standing at a football match. A lot of people like to stand up. I do actually quite like standing at football matches, but I don't like it when there's the responsibility of others around me. But but uh, the, 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 there is something about being in the crowds when when you're standing. But there's also, <laughs> as, as I'm approaching 50, there's a part of me that thinks I like to sit down and enjoy the game. Comfy. And, yeah. and comfy. But of course, it's not doing my knees any good, though, because every time there's a goal mouth action, everybody stands up in front of you, and then you have to stand up as well. And it's the getting up and getting down. You know, pick one or other. Let's 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 commit to one or other. Shall we stand up or sit down? My knees can't can't handle it. Jamie, would you would you like to see the safe stand system going into the new cop? I was just going to ask you, isn't isn't that isn't that the plan? Because you I, know, I don't think it's been confirmed. Because because at the back of um, at the back of the uh, Wrexham Lager stand, where the the the, the, the farthest turnstiles are, which is where the away end. Is there's that little section there, isn't there? Which is which is yeah, being mock up, like a, yeah. And I I I thought that was something to do with the safe standards. So like you say, maybe it's not being confirmed. I I think ultimately the world's moved on, hasn't it? It was just like I say, you two are really. You know, I'm old, but you two are really old. Uh, so you'll remember it <laughs> a lot. Um, I I you know I have some some of my fondest memories are of being on the cop. Um, I mean. You know, probably the fondest memory I've got is is uh, uh, heading a ball that was fired into the cup by Kevin Russell against West Ham, uh, and I managed to get my head on it. Um, it was it was a terrible header, but I got Respect. my head on it. Um, no, 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 it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's that, that counts. But but that that you know, some of my fondest memories from watching Wrexham are, are being on the cop, and it wasn't the best view, and 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 it's questionable. You know, I prefer a view from the side rather than either end. But there was just something about it, and uh, yeah, it was. I was, I was just curious from a nostalgic point of view. But I, I get the whole safety thing, and and, and that's got to be. Pro- and, and as a parent like you guys, I, I get it. I do get it. Well, as the turn of the twenty first century, the Kairas was now established in Wrexham AFC folklore as one of the jewels in our crown. 
Security, or so fans thought, was further made in 2002 when then Wrexham FC chairman Price Griffiths secured a 125-year lease on the racecourse from Wolverhampton Dudley Breweries, who then owned the lease, for £750,000 and a peppercorn annual rent of only £1. But, like all duels, you have to be careful of theft, and storm clouds were brewing. Wrexham's fortunes on the pitch were doing okay, but off the pitch serious money problems and the health of the chairman were plaguing the club. After a consortium led by Alex Hamilton bought out ownership of the club, their motive quickly became clear when on 26th of June 2002, the freehold to the racecourse was acquired by the new Wrexham AFC group from Wolverhampton Dudley Breweries for £300,000. On the same day, the ownership of that freehold was then transferred by the chairman Alex Hamilton from said Wrexham AFC to another of his companies, Damon's Limited, for a nominal fee. After this controversial change of ownership, the 125-year lease on the racecourse was then renegotiated, and the new lease stated that Damon's Limited could evict Wrexham FC from the racecourse ground on 12 months' notice and a payment of a million pounds. The new lease also saw the club's annual rent increase from £1 a year to £30,000 a year. In 2004, Wrexham AFC were given one year's notice to quit the ground, as the site was to be redeveloped into a commercial site housing a superstore. This triggered a furious reaction from fans, and in a legal case running all the way through to March 2006, eventually the High Court ruled that the ownership of the freehold of the ground had been improperly transferred, and ownership of the ground then reverted to the club's administrators, the club having gone into administration in December 2004 with debts of £2,600,000. Jamie, this was a really, really bad time for the club, and we were perilously close, not just of losing our home since 1864, but losing the club itself. What do you remember of this time? Whoa. Um, I can't believe you said his name. That's my first thought. Um, it's like Voldemort. You've got to say it. You can't be afraid of it. You've got to say it. And you may need the bleep machine. Um, yeah, on standby. What do I remember at that time? It was horrible, wasn't it? You know, there, there, there is no, you know, there's no... There, I was going to say there's no positive, positive words you can use to describe that time, right? With the exception of what the fans did you know that was that was the shining light from from that time and i'd rather focus on and i'd rather remember that than remember the utter utter that that uh, <laughs> that, that put our club through and what he tried to do to our club um yeah, that that is not a time that any Wrexham fan will look back of look back on with any fond memories, with the exception of the, the the fans and what the fans did and how the fans came together and how the fans, you know, pooled everything they had, resources, passion, pride, desire, love for the club, pulled it all together to oust and get rid of that utter, utter 
Daz, there was a huge groundswell, not just in Wrexham, but outside Wrexham. I mean, there are a number of, obviously the fans did a lot of investigation into who actually was running the club at this time because Alex Hamilton, by his very nature, decided not to be front standing to begin with and put other people like Mark Gutterman in charge, even though Mark Gutterman turned out just to be a bit of a puppet for, for Alex Hamilton. But there was lots of investigation, I remember at the time, by... BBC Wales, for example, they did week in, week out and and, and did things. I mean, how how much was the Wrexham message and the the danger of the club going out of business? You know, how, do you remember much of that time? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I, I can't decide whether it's because I was particularly because I live in Wales that it was particularly more, you know, uh, apparent. But I, I do know a lot of. Uh, other supporters from football clubs around the country who also kept an eye on that because if it could happen to such a historic club like Wrexham with its with the origins of the game based there so you know you know no club was safe you know it was apparent and and I don't understand the world of business I don't know clearly a lot of people in business don't either but but the world of business I don't understand how you can acquire something without somebody agreeing to you know all all the ways that these businesses work is is alien to me and but 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 the fact that any ground or any business or any establishment or any premises land or anything is at risk just because somebody has as the you know the the knowledge and the, and the money to be able to buy something off somebody and then sell it to a company that they already own but they sell it to another company that they also own and then you know it's it's just it's just it was all it was just sounded also corrupt and you're right there were some documentaries some investigative programs and that absolutely brought a, a higher a sense of awareness of the of the situation but it, it still felt like the law couldn't touch them there was something about what they were doing technically was not you know was not against the law until as you mentioned you know it went to uh high court and 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 the freehold was sorted out again but it just feels so so vulnerable and 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 to, and, to, and the fear that any other club in the in the whole of the country is equally as vulnerable um is quite scary so it's again it's it must be reassuring to a club like Wrexham and other clubs who have got those investors who are clearly committed to the team clearly uh, committed to uh, being transparent i think that's the other thing because that was the other th- whatever they were doing um both he and any of the the people he was putting in front you know puppets in front of the press um they it was clearly underhand whatever they were doing that it was it was obviously for their own self-interest so um no uh, scary times and and um, but as jamie said what what a spirit what a collective uh, opposition and could that have have helped formed a new new fan base a new uh, I often wonder: Do you have the support and the the spirit of a town football club now uh, that is so cemented in uh, Amawhid and so cemented in a in a, a spirit of of resistance? That means you you somehow you're benefiting from it in some weird you know weird way now because you had to go through such a horrible horrible experience i think i think you, you, there's definitely an element of that you, you know you you are you are right i think you know like in any walk of life or in any you know many things that happen in life sometimes you have to go through the bad to be able to appreciate the good um but i think it's 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 that time you know it's that time more than anything that when i see and I hear all all this um 
you know, all this hatred and negativity towards Wrexham and what's happening now. And I appreciate some of it is because of the media and the media coverage and everything else. But anyone that, you know, anyone that questions, you know, do Wrexham deserve the, 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 I'm not going to say success because that's still to come, but the, the, do we, do Wrexham deserve the situation that they're in now and the owners that they, that they've got now? Yes, they do a hundred percent. And if anybody needs any any uh, reasoning as to why we deserve it, go back and do a bit of research to, to the time when that <laughs> looking was in charge of our in charge of our ground and our team and our club. I say in charge of trying to steal and pillage our, our, our everything we had. Um, and yes, that's why we deserve what we're getting there. Well, with the clubs emerging from administration in May two thousand and six, the racecourse ground still wasn't out of danger. Ownership of the ground passed to a new company, Wrexham Football Club 2006 Limited, owned by Jeff Moss and Ian Roberts. They passed ownership of the football ground to a new holding company called Wrexham Village Limited. To put a permanent cash injection into the club, Wrexham Village proposed in 2008 a joint venture development with a yet-to-be-chosen third party to develop student village area near the site of the cop stand. The £40 million project would be developed in conjunction with Glyndor University to house over 800 students and take place in two phases. However, due to the global recession at that time, the company found it hard to find a development partner and the land on the project was eventually sold freehold in 2009 to another company owned by Moss and Roberts. Although the ownership had changed, the financial problems persisted, only two blocks of flats were built and many of the promises made to the Wrexham Supporters Trust never materialised. Some fans saw this as a worse betrayal than during the Hamilton era. In 2008, due to a lack of investment, the COP was finally condemned and closed on safety grounds, where it sat empty for 15 years, mirroring the club's fortunes. Jamie, we talked a lot about Alex Hamilton and that time. But many people also criticised Jeff Moss and Ian Roberts and the work that they did around the building of the flats and bringing the freehold into their companies. And I remember a documentary at that time where they were heavily criticised and they, on record, put that all the things that they'd done and the money they put in. What it, Being very, very careful, as we have to be, do you feel that Jeff Moss and Ian Roberts were the saviours and helpers of the club? Or do you feel that they were also they also had their own vested interests in Wrexham Football Club and particularly the racecourse? You're determined to get me cancelled, aren't you? Um, <laughs> uh, we have to be very careful. Uh, listen, just I, say alleged. Just say allegedly before every word you say, yes, and then okay. you're fine. Uh, allegedly. I can't allegedly believe you're allegedly asking me these alleged questions because it's allegedly <laughs> bull****. Um, look, it, it, the, 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 the flats, oh, the flats. Um, I don't think that time was much better than what, you know, what, what had come before it. Uh, I certainly don't think, I, I, you used the word saviour and, and, and help there. I certainly don't think they did much to save and help a great deal other than allegedly their own interests um look for me it was out of the frying pan into the fire with with that um and i i don't think it was it was much of a better scenario but i suppose the most important thing the club 
survived and the club carried on. And I suppose, like I said before, sometimes you have to appreciate the bad times to to enjoy the good times. And I guess we 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 learn, you know, we 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 remember those bad that bad time, don't we? Uh... Well, in August two thousand and one, after a period of instability, the Wrexham Supporters Trust bought the club from Jeff Moss and took controlling interest. Jeff Moss agreed, though, to sell the stadium and the associated training grounds to Glyndur University, and the deal allowed Wrexham to continue to use both facilities. The purchase of the ground also resulted in the rebranding of the stadium, incorporating the university's name. In August 2016, Wrexham Glyndur University and Wrexham AFC signed a contract that signalled a new future for the racecourse. The lease from the university was branded as My Racecourse in Welsh and Hyrasi. The university, which purchased the landmark in 2011, saving it from possible extinction, handed operational control of the ground over to the Wrexham Supporters Trust and the football club as part of a 99-year lease. After the takeover, obviously, by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, the club then began talks with Glindo University to purchase the freehold of the ground and therefore the lease. And on the 29th of June 2022, the club purchased the freehold of the stadium from the university and held it in ownership complete. Daz, the importance of Glinda University's actions in securing the ground shouldn't be underestimated, should it? I, I've always interpreted it as a really positive, supportive uh, a partner in the in the history of protecting the club. Um, and as as a as a observer looking in, and as a as a sort of distance, you know, remote fan, you know, it it felt very positive that. You know, by protecting not only the ground but the training facilities, you know, it just it just felt like okay, you've got a sympathetic partner there, and the fact that they could benefit from it, whether it's through sponsorship or branding or you know naming rights or having students. I'm assuming the training grounds would have been used for sports training for the for, for yeah. students. Sports, you know, yeah, yeah. so yeah, so you know, th- I could see why that that was a business. Um, uh, sort of uh, uh, an agreement that that complemented both sides. That that actually, uh, yeah, the Glindu would then come out shine, looking like the shining knight that helped save the uh, save the club, um, and and have then subsequently done the right thing, which is uh, by you know selling the lease onto onto the the current owners. It now feels like a full, complete package. It means that there's total control and total ownership. But but that bridging that they offered um, absolutely can't be underestimated. With the security of the lease, the future for the Kairos looks rosy. In November 2022, Wrexham Council's planning committee approved plans for a 5,500-seater capacity stand on the site of the old COP including a hospitality lounge, office and retail space for the club, as well as further facilities for the club's community trust. Restoration is expected to finish by the start of the 2024-2025 season. At the end of April 2023, after 64 years of loyal service, the old floodlights were removed and replacement of new LED floodlights was begun. On the 25th of May 2023, it was announced the stadium is to be known using the sponsorship name Stoke Racecourse, or in Welsh, a Stock Kairas from 1st of July 2023, following a sponsorship deal with Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. Jamie, this then brings us to today, and it's all been such a rollercoaster, to say the least. How important is moving forward the Kairas to Wrexham Football Club and to the community of Wrexham? Oh, it's massive, isn't it? You said before, didn't you, you know, that, that, that cop, the old cop, 15 years, you know, 
de- de closed and derelict and it, it, it'll be you know Daz was saying before about the players having to get used to to, to having that you know that, that stand there again it, it, it'll we're all going to have to get used to it it's going to be very very strange but it can't come soon enough I think you know it's been an eyesore of, of, of our historic ground for such a long time now so to have it complete again and have a four, you know a proper four-sided stand a shiny new all singing all dancing stand uh, that that can have you know facilities modern day facilities good facilities not just for for game day but you know um talk of a mega store and office spaces and everything else um but more than anything else just the, the capacity because you know as you and i both know um you you've you you know you've you've got uh, you you've got uh, the ch- you know trying to get tickets and and things at the minute for for Wrexham games is 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 crazy. So uh, yeah, extra capacity is very much needed. Daz, what do you think is the future for the Kairas over, let's say, the next ten years? Well, I think they should revive the uh, Rugby League Crusaders and host <laughs> host them for a few more years because uh, I think that's missing part of your portfolio. Um, is no too soon? No, okay. definitely okay. too soon. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I think your sponsorship, you know, I don't know which is worse, stalk or cash for gold. I mean, it's <laughs> it's 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 a bit of a weird one, but no, I appreciate it. You know, investment, money, it's 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 everything that a club needs at the moment, isn't it? Hey, when we've got the Jurex cop, you you won't be laughing then, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I was trying to think if there was a gag there about safety and hands and I don't know. I'd uh, it, not, cut you? cut that out. Um, <laughs> no, it's um. What was your question? Next five years, security. <laughs> ten, yes, ten years. Ten, ten. Ten years. Okay, ten years. Well, you've got owners that you're definitely going to have for at least ten years. It sounds like they're there for the long haul, which is good. So I think uh, there's. Once you've built your current stand, the comp, then there's going to need to be further investment on another section. And then you just keep adding and building and building. Um, not too fast, but but equally, uh, you know, steadily whilst the finances are good and it sounds like you've got management there that know what they're doing. Um, because you, if you have aspirations of moving up the leagues, then you'll have aspirations of having more fans and bigger grounds. Therefore, you know, being amongst the bigger teams, that that that's part and parcel. Um, it feels, you know, and and I I do think that that that's the logical way forward. Whether or not you as a as a as a region, as a as an area, as a community, can handle those numbers of crowds on a day to day basis. But there are plenty of small towns who do just as well with with just as you know with just the same numbers. So um, I think there's always a way around it. But no, I think I think it's it's it is important. You know, the fact that it's now settled. I think there's so many things come back to the fact that you've got a, what appears to be stable ownership, and so ground team management the players you know ethics principles all of those things seem quite stable but your bricks and mortar the turf you're playing on ultimately is where it all starts and ends Uh, and so to be able to say you have security in your in your lease you've got a ground that hopefully will merit the side that's been put in front of it um an atmosphere that will get feared and right in and rivals teams would hate hate to play there uh, which you already start you know a lot of people talk about the atmosphere that you've been generating these last two years particularly um is is already on the increase so if you can you know close that off have that ground 
atmosphere, you know, a cauldron, as 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 it has been called a couple of times, then then uh, yes, the club's only going to benefit from it. And Daz, moving from community to national, mm. you know, how important is it that we get the national side back up to North Wales? Yes, very important because we've mentioned many times that there are a lot of Welsh fans who deserve to have football more accessible um and and jamie you're one of them you know you there supporting your your, your club side you're following the football you know welsh football um then you know why why should geography get in the way of being able to support your national team um i do think national uh, international football has to be at a ground worthy of it you know it has to be a good size it has to you know and it sounds like the Wrexham race course is going to be that ground um and as long as the you know you know the 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 um it, the, the fans in the area are going to travel that's the thing you've got so many north walian uh and and west walian but you know we'll 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 travel up from the south as well it's our turn i do think there's more, more you know there are plenty of fans who will make that trip um uh yes it's easy at the moment because it's in the south and you've got you know more population down here but i do think that plenty of stalwart fans are gonna make the trip and my own daughter you know has watched the documentary fascinated by the the, the journey that the, the club has done has already said wouldn't it be great to go and see a welsh national team play there because she's not a Wrexham fan and i'm not expecting her to be a Wrexham fan but, but she is a welsh football fan and to be able to watch the national team play there what a brilliant way to take her to a historic ground a ground that i have a lot of fondness for you know watching you're going with you guys and watching you know uh swindon or oh. whatever peter <laughs> shilton in charge or whatever you know those back in those days i you know i could yeah. you know i could say that i've been there watched it you know watch mm. the you know club football at in those days but but wouldn't it be great to say no it's a it's it's a a, a another worthy ground for the national you know for the for the international side and jamie next year sees wrexham celebrate 160 years of playing at the race course hopefully the new cop will be open just in time what should we do in october next year to mark that 160 year milestone of what is is an incredible football ground um i think uh, an unveiling of a statue outside said new stand of you know obviously t- TBC as to who that would be Joe Jones um, and I would say so I don't know like a historic an historic fixture uh, you know to, to to you know friendly fixture to to uh, to mark the the event um, you'd have to look back and and make a shortlist I guess of of, of Wrexham's most historic uh, fixtures, you know Arsenal maybe, uh, you know my Arsenal back at the race course. I'd love to see Liverpool. I have to be honest. I would love to see Liverpool I, back. I, at the race I course. think I th- I think it needs to be Liverpool or Manchester United because of the history with the region that both those teams have, or or Everton, you know. The, but you want a good side, so so go go for Liverpool or Man United. I think it is where the the history comes from. I understand the history of the listen, game, don't get listen, wrong. listen. I know you're a Liverpool fan, right? But we're back in the AFL now. There's going to be plenty of Wrexham on the TV for you to watch. You don't have to try and get Liverpool at the racecourse just to see a decent game of football. Just hang on a second. I'm just I'm just crossing out the idea of versus Chester. Do you want it to do you want it to last 161? <laughs> <laughs> um.
now on the Eat More Chips pod, it's time for today's newspaper, tomorrow's chip paper, where we look at the news this week around Wales and Wrexham AFC. First up, Wrexham senior women have started offering contracts to their players, becoming the first women's club in North Wales to go semi-professional. Ten players have so far signed. They are Del Morgan, Phoebe Davis, Erin Lovett, Katie Sharp, Lily Jones, TJ Dickens, Mary Gibbard, Rebecca Pritchard, Amber Lightfoot and Rosie Hughes. Head of Women's Football Operations Gemma Owen said, We are proud to be able to announce the first 10 players to have signed semi-professional contracts with the football club. This is an historic moment, not just for the football club, but for women's football in North Wales and shows just what young girls in our region can aspire to. All 10 players signed up so far have proved themselves on and off the pitch, not just as fine footballers, but as great role models too, and are fitting pioneers. Jamie, great news. And I guess after last week, Del Morgan isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I was gonna. I was wondering how you were gonna backtrack on that one. Um, <laughs> the, the, the way you were talking last week is if they'd already had a leaving party for her. Um, no, I, it's it's a significant step, isn't it? You know, we all knew obviously that the, the club was going semi-pro, but to actually see those ten players, um, you know, start signing their contracts and getting the the recognition and um, is 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 a is a great step in 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 this journey. You know, um, and I think. I don't think anyone would argue with the 10 players that have been given the, the initial deals. It'll be interesting to see who else gets added. Daz, obviously, you know, Wrexham, trailblazing, leading the way a bit. Do you think the clubs now in Wales should be th- thinking along the same lines? Because there should really should be some parity in the women's game now, shouldn't there? You would say that there should be, and I totally agree that, that that's the way they should go. But it's it's finances, isn't it? It's always going to come back to money. Um, I I don't know the figures that that they're being referred to, and semi pro. I don't know what that means in terms of proportionate, and uh, but but it's going to cost. And obviously, a club like Wrexham has got the uh, the business now now to be able to generate that income. You've already alluded to the number of games you guys have been to. That that that's already showing that the gate return is going to be higher at a club like Wrexham you've already, you know you've got a strong fan base supporting all levels of uh, of the women's game so i think that makes a business sense for them i can't see all the other clubs having the same uh deep pockets and therefore it's a really tough ask for them so until uh, there's a broader financial investment or you know the sponsorship goes up or there's better tv deals or whatever those peripheral um fund uh, sources uh can be i can't see some of the other teams uh, unless you're a swansea or a cardiff who are already backed by again a bigger machine i i just can't see all the league um matching it which is not the case that it shouldn't it's just i can't see them being capable of at the moment Papa John's trophy fixtures have been confirmed for the group stages this week. The week commencing 4th September, Wrexham will be at home to Newcastle United under-21s. The week commencing the 9th of October, Wrexham will be away to Crew Alexander. And week, week commencing November the 13th, Wrexham will be at home to Port Vale. Jamie, good start to be at home versus the under-21 side? Yeah, I mean, I think at the minute these these you know any home games are, are are exciting to look forward to, aren't they? I suppose the big question with this competition is you know what what kind of team or you know how seriously we're going to take it. Um, but I mean, ultimately, the the three teams that we've that we've been drawn with there, you know, they they should prove uh, 
you know, entertaining games. Um, it, it'd just be intriguing to see how, you know, how Parky approaches them, really. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the Newcastle um, under 21s is, you know, at the end of the day, I think we, we talked about it last week or the week before, you know, these under 21, Premier League under 21 teams that are, that are, that are put into the, this competition, you know, they, they're not going to be bad players, you know, they might be young players and maybe lacking, you know, that, that, Sort of physical presence and, and and maturity, but they're not going to be bad players, so it, it should still be a strong test. Daz, with the top two teams in each group going through to the knockout stage, can you see Wrexham getting that far? Oof, I mean, they've got they've got the potential to. Of course, they can. You know, um, it's it's going back to Jamie's point. You know how how do each of these teams and it's not just Wrexham's approach to it what 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 how serious do all teams full stop um approach approach the tournament um and and there will be some tough ties there will be some you know really uh tricky games but we we know Wrexham are a quality cup side so um why not why not make it through and then after that you know it's luck of the draw after that you know, home and away. I don't, how does that once you get out of the groups what, what's what, what's the format uh, the knockout stage knowing? is also regional for the first i think two rounds so it would be against northern the northern teams in the draw and oh, then home a, and away uh no i think it's just i think it's drawn so like it's we just drawn knockout yeah so you never yeah. know so you get a few more games at the race course and you know home advantage there is always you know worth with a goal so you know that that's there's potential as Wrexham teams gather this week to start training for the 2023-24 season Wrexham have finally announced their 2022-23 season awards voted for by players and by us the general public so The awards are as follows. Women's top goal scorer, of course, Rosie Hughes, 42 goals in 18 appearances. Jamie, that is one hell of a stat. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, You know, I said it, I I think I stick it on Twitter, at any level, um, you know, men's or women's football, at any level, in any competition, that is a ridiculous return. Um, And, you know, let's, let's... let it, you know, let's see what 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 she's got this year because uh, obviously Google's stepping up a uh, stepping up now. Um, but I mean, we've talked about it before, haven't we? Watching her play, she's she's another level, absolutely unbelievable player. Men's top goal scorer for the season, obviously Paul Mullin with forty seven goals. Daz, he's now scored consistently for three seasons in the high you know high plus thirties. Can you see him do it for a fourth season in a row? Yeah, yeah, no, he's class, he's class, and. Uh... And with with uh, the the momentum of last you know the last two seasons really the goal you know goal scoring machine that he is um, and you know this award just you know just you know it's absolute the merit is there from all to see everybody respects and and recognises what he's brought to the club and what he's achieved and and this is what he was there to do you know so he's he's met he's met the the brief and. Uh, and it's about going up to the next level. So, you know, pushing on for another promotion and he's going to be a significant part of that. The next two awards were voted for by the players. Women's Players Player of the Season, defender Erin Lovett, who has done incredible work for the Wrexham women's side. And the Men's Players Player of the Season is, of course, Paul Mullin. Now the awards voted for by us, the general public. Women's Young Player of the Season in third place was Mia Roberts. In second place was Lily Jones. And in first place, voted for by the public, was the winger striker 
Amber Lightfoot to add to her Gennaro Adran North Young Player of the Season award. She scored 20 goals in 21 games. Daz, important, obviously everybody looks at Rosie Hughes and because of the goals that she scored, but Amber, you know, has absolutely put the shift in to be able to score that much goals and provide a service, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, and I, I, it's just great to to recognise the youth. You know, I think that's one of the things about the number of the, the youth team that are stepping up to the senior team. That uh, aspirationally, that's going to be sort of like motivational for the rest of the youth squad. That you can step up and then make an impact in in the senior team. So I just, yeah, it was proper recognition for a clear talent. I mean, twenty goals in twenty one games. I mean, that's there are a lot of, of strikers out there who would want that return on their on their CV. And the men's young player of the season voted for by the public in third place was Max Cloweth, in second place was Ryan Barnett, and in first place, Sam Dolby. Jamie, can't be underestimated that the uh, the service that Sam has done this season, you know, obviously because he's been a substitute a lot, you might think, oh, well, he's not really a first team player, but he has made such a major difference, hasn't he? Yeah, massive difference. I, I would, interestingly, I, I would love to see the split between or the split and the votes between him and and Barnett, um, I think I think to be fair, I think if Barnett would have been with us for the whole season, I think he would have run away with it. To be fair, but based on you know length of time he was with us, and then you know Sam Dolby's contribution, I think um, I understand you know why 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 Sam got it. I mean, ultimately he scored some some crucial goals, and he he played a significant part in 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 this season, and I think. I think for me the best, um, the, the 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 best kind of compliment that I think you you can you can you can give Sam Dolby is probably look at if you look at the season, you know at the start of the season, if you'd have said to any Wrexham fan, what's the pecking order of the strike force, they would have said Mullin, Palmer, Dolby, and yet as we went through the season, and then towards the end of the season in particular, you know the conversation was who's going to partner Mullin. Is it going to be Palmer or Dolby? He he by his put the performances he put in, put him in the the forefront of the mind for 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 selection, and I think that's massive. You know, massive compliment to how he progressed this season. So yeah, well deserved. Daz, what do you think the turning point was for Sam Dolby? Was it his kind of the, the, his work rate coming on, or was it the kind of the you know the sta- for example the standout uh, performance at Co- Coventry in the FA Cup? Was that kind of his ter- his 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 moment, his turning point? I mean, he certainly was for me, but then I don't watch him as regularly as you guys. But but I just thought he was outstanding in that game. So I I absolutely uh, could see why a lot of people would think that that was the turning point because it was on such a platform, you know, uh, t- t- you know, uh, national television and everything at the same time. So, uh, um, but it was a great game, great game, and 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 contributed so at a key point as well. Um, uh, it sort of made sure. That, that that game you know went in Rexon's favour. So I just thought, um, you know, what a contribution. And 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 if he's pushing, you know, at that age, uh, what is he now? 21, 22? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you know, so so much potential. Uh, again, you know, hopefully if another season. You just got to hope that we can hold hold on to players like him, really. In 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 that it's, by by getting the promotion, that will allow him to be motivated to stay at the same club because there's going to be a lot of interest in him because I think he is that good. The women's player of the season voted for by the public. Del Morgan was in third, Lily Jones in second, and of course Rosie Hughes was in first. Obviously, we talked already, Jamie, about Rosie, but let's have a let's just have a quick talk about obviously Del has done amazing stuff in goal, but Lily Jones now Lily Jones. 
actually is an under twenty ones player, but has you know has played at both under twenty ones and at senior level. How remarkable is it that a player so young and has played so much in both camps in both squads? managed to become runner-up for women's player of the season. It's a massive compliment, isn't it? A massive compliment to the to the you know the the, the shift she's put in this season. Um, I think for for any player that's any young player that's able to be recognised in the I don't want to say the main category. That's not fair, but you know what I mean. The senior category, should we call it, um, is is a massive compliment to, to to what they've contributed to the season. And, and yeah, well well deserved, well deserved. And let's not forget, Daz. She is a Welsh international at the at the younger age groups, so there's a potential there maybe that she could, you know, push on that little bit more and perhaps make it to the senior squad. Oh, more than just a potential, I, I would expect to. I th- I think she's that good. I've, what I've seen is 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 definitely uh, uh, a name f- that will last. I, you know, what injuries permitting and and careers, you know, going the right way. Uh, there's no reason why that she she can't have a, a lasting career and, and a legacy at that level, at the highest level. And now, of course, the men's player of the season. In third place, Ben Tozer. In second place, Elliot Lee. And, of course, in first place, Paul Mullin. Paul got 60% of the vote and wins the award for the second year in a row. So he joins Luke Young, Kevin Rooster-Russell, Mike Williams and Gary Psycho-Bennett as the only players ever to win back-to-back Wrexham Player of the Season Awards. There's only one award left to vote on, and that will be the Evor Williams Trailers Goal of the Season Award, which voting opens for next week. Daz, would you stick to your winner that you picked in our awards a few weeks ago, Mullins' first goal versus Boreham Wood? Uh, yeah, catchy title for uh, for the title of the of the prize as well. Like it, like it. So totally um, supporting local trade, though that's important. Is that is that um, is that a legit thing? That is a legit thing, yeah, it is. It's the Evo Williams Trailers goal of the season. Because I like the fact that it's called Evo Williams Trailers because it then suggests that you have to watch the trailers of the goals to be able to... <laughs> I, I, it, it just feels like it's meshed and it's beautifully knitted together as a, as a very fitting title. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I would stick with that, um, you know, for all the reasons I said then, whatever they were. <laughs> I can't and Jamie, remember. Jamie you'd, st- you'd stick with your choice as well? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I picked it, I picked it then. I, 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 uh, I won't change it now, uh, even for the Evo Williams trailer sponsor. Wrexham have recently seen success, and rightly so. Many plaudits have been given to the current squad and management, but Wrexham AFC have had a long and sometimes illustrious history with our current successes built on the hard work and victories of remarkable players in our past. Current fans often refer to the team of the early 2000s, late 90s or early 90s in loud songs and chants as previous heroes of the club. But Wrexham fans, as old and crusty as me, have had very very reverent words for the Wrexham side of the 70s. Many feel this is where Wrexham really became a big club. Giant killing both at home and in Europe, and building the true foundations of what we have today. This week's guest has had a stellar football career for Middlesbrough, Tranmere Rovers and Dutch side FC20. But it's his seven years with Wrexham, making 246 appearances and scoring 96 competitive goals, winning two Welsh Cups, playing in Wrexham's first ever match in Europe versus FC Zurich in Switzerland in 1972 that really makes him special. Fans call him King Billy, 
or the Yeti. And the Eat More Chips podcast is absolutely delighted to welcome Wrexham legend Billy Ashcroft. Billy, how are you doing, mate? All right? Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, it's, I'm it, doing fine. I'm um, getting over my operation. I had a couple of years ago, so I'm starting to get myself a little bit fitter. Fantastic. That's great news. Well, this is a real pleasure for me, and I'm, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to make you feel a bit old. When I was seven years old, watching the town uh, in 1976 from the cop, I had three favourite players. Bobby Shinton, because I thought he was a giant and he had a weird nose whenever you saw him. Graham Whittle, because he scored loads of goals. And you, because you were the only player I could recognise at a distance because of your massive hair and you weren't scared to get stuck into the opposition players. So I have to be honest, this for me is an absolute delight. Thank you very much. It actually sums up the 70s for me, that. (laughs) Bobby with his broken nose. Uh, Nosher. Um, Nosher, my roommate for a while. Right. And... Me that could walk past any barbers in Wrexham and not get cut. <laughs> so, obviously, you know, Billy, as a lad from Merseyside, you know, how did you get involved with Wrexham to begin with? Um, I went to school with Bob Scott. Um, Bob was a footballer. Um, he played for the school team. I didn't play for the school team. I was uh, a triple jumper, Liverpool City champion triple jumper. So Bob and I, we actually ran for Liverpool and Lancashire. Uh, I was also a swimmer, and then I came. Well, I won the uh, the Lancashire uh, triple jump, and came second in the Commonwealth. And the school teacher said to me, "What we're going to do? I'm going to get keep you fit throughout the the winter months, and let you train with the school B team." So I started playing football with the school B team, not competitive, but just training. Uh, and within nine months, I was playing for Blackpool. After that, I just it was just a little bit too far to go. And there was a guy who played for Wrexham called Dave Hughes. He played one game against Gillingham. We got beat 4-3 at home on a Friday night. Uh, and he told the scout from Liverpool, come and watch this big ginger fella. <laughs> uh, so when I got introduced and he said to me, what position do you play? Because I was centre-half. Yossi Hughes said, he's centre-forward. So I trained at uh, Daystreet Lane over in Liverpool as a centre-forward, and pretty much it went uphill from there. Well, you signed for Wrexham in October 1970 at the grand old age of 18 and played your debut away at Reading that month. Now, I know I might be asking a lot, and I'm sorry, because I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but can you remember if you felt nervous the first time you crossed that white line onto the pitch at Reading? Not really, because we, we had we had a Northern Floodlit League team, which some of the players, some of the first team players were playing when they were injured. So I was used to playing against uh, Shrewsbury Town or Chester first team players, and we had first team players in our team. So I wasn't so much I, I wasn't so much nervous. I was really sort of hyped up for it. I just remember the, the referee called Morris Fussy. And every time he made a decision, Dave Gaskell said, come off, Muffy, come on, Muffy. (laughs) I was like, you can't be disrespectful to a referee like that. But, I mean, I slept um, in the same room with Arvind the night before, and he did great. He just calmed me down a little bit. We had breakfast the next day, and you know the way you get a half pound of butter, you take your little scrape off. Well, I took the little scrape off and there's a little bit left on the butter and I just wiped it back on the butter and everyone looked at me. As if the... <laughs> that was the worst part of my debut. 
Well, you scored your first goal for Wrexham two weeks later in a 2-1 win uh, away at Bury in front of 4,214 fans. And your first goal at the race course was a week later in a 2-1 win versus Shrewsbury Town in front of 10,092 fans. Talk about hitting the ground running. In that first season, you scored eight goals and appeared in a two-leg Welsh Cup final versus Cardiff City. In that first kind of season, who would you say was your biggest influence in the club? Well, the gaffer, John Neal, he was the one that sort of put me in there. Um... I was going to make my debut a little bit earlier. I was, I was, I would have been 17 at the time, but it brought me nose up in Ross Sutherland. Uh, and it was a really bad, it was turned upside down almost. And the doctor said to me, don't go out if it's raining because you'll drown. Because <laughs> it, it was, it was upside down. Um, so they kept it till I think it was the 3rd of, 3rd of October. Uh, and John, keep, John kept saying that we, he believes in youth. Uh, so, I think John, being the manager, but Arvin, he was always there with a little bit of advice. And, you know, so when I made my debut and I played um, the game against Berry, I scored and Brian Tinian scored. And then the home game, I scored, Brian Tinian scored. And there was none of this jumping all over you that you made the grade and and you're going to be a footballer. It's like hard work starts now. Mm. So the gaffer and Arvin just kept your feet firmly on the ground. Well, we'll talk about John Neal a bit later because he is of my list of all-time Wrexham managers. He is right up there near the top for, for me personally. The next year, uh, 71-72, saw you become a mainstay in the side. 34 appearances, 6 goals and a Welsh Cup win versus Cardiff. You finally got that bogey off our back because Cardiff had been quite a bogey team for us in the Welsh Cup before that. Obviously winning the Welsh Cup, which is an incredible feat in itself, but this obviously meant Wrexham then got to enter the European Cup Winners' Cup for the first time. Now, can you remember how exciting it was for a third division club like Wrexham to have the opportunity to play in Europe against the big sides, uh, the big sides of that time? It was strange because so we went and played against Cardiff. We won the cup, and I'm just thinking, well, it's another one of those little cups that you win, like the Alves Cup or the Northern Flooded <laughs> League. Uh, I'm, I'm, okay, you're going to play in Europe, so I'm thinking you're going to play against the fourth division team from Europe, and then we get drawn against FC Zurich, and I thought, Christ, I know these, <laughs> and, and I thought this is actually the big league. Yeah, and I think with the players we had, I mean, we had some. I mean, top, top players. Yeah. There was no fear. It was like, come on, if we get knocked out, we get knocked out. But let's just show them what we can do. And when we got to Zurich um, and we got that one all draw, it was, these aren't as tough as what you think. Mm. You know, these foreigners, they they didn't like English centre-forwards anyway. No. So um, I just thought it was a fantastic experience. Plus, you got to taste different beers. Yeah, that's always good. Always a winner. The away trips are always a good thing. And 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 we're... We're very proud of that, aren't we, Daz, for our away mm. trips when we go visiting Wales and uh, doing things like that. Well, on September 1972, Wrexham met five-time Swiss champion FC Zurich in Switzerland in the first round, first leg. 200 Wrexham fans braved the trip that contained players then in the squad. And you, you, you'll know all these guys really, really well, and we'll talk about them a bit later, uh, uh, Billy. But we had Brian Lloyd in goal, obviously, Dave Fogg, Gareth Davis, Eddie May, Great player, Eddie May. Fantastic player. Great captain. Brian Tinian, Mel Sutton, Albert Kinsey, and a very, very young Mickey Thomas, of course. 
Wrexham didn't wilt in the limelight either and managed that one-all draw. Albert Kinsey hitting a low shot to counter Zurich's goal three minutes earlier. Billy, do you remember anything particular about that one-all draw out in Zurich, out with FC Zurich? Oh, Christ, yeah. Uh, by the way, it wasn't Mickey Thomas in them days. It was Noddy. Oh, sorry, yeah, Noddy, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's before he came Mickey I, T. But I, I was just I trying remember. to be respectful. I, I should know better, really, shouldn't I? You don't have to respect that bald little bugger. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, I, what I remember is, uh, I, I couldn't believe what you just told me. There was 200 Wrexham fans. Yeah. They outshouted the Zurich fans. Wow. And strangely enough, I've been back uh, when I played in um, Holland. I went back to the, and into Toto and played Zurich again. Wow. Uh, and, and we battered them. And <laughs> I, I just thought, nothing changes. You know, it's just yeah. like going back to the olden days, but it was the same field and everything. But it was uh, it just went back a little bit of a blur. You know, we know Albert scored. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the, the, the game, it's like, well, we're going back to the second leg. And, and John and all the guys were saying the same thing. There wasn't a great deal in it, you know, no. talent-wise and, and team-wise. And I think, if anything, playing away from home, we sort of we pinched it a little bit. We were a better team. Mm, wow, yeah. Of course, well, Wrexham brought Zurich back to Wales and in front of, uh, well, over 18,000 fans. Played a spirited first half until Zurich went ahead 1-0 uh, in the 48th minute. Um, this is how it stayed until... Uh, the 63rd minute with a noisy race course back in the boys. Uh, Mickey T crosses from the byline and who pops up but one King Billy Woo! to head in the cross and make it 1-1. Tell, tell us about that goal. I thought we was going to get disallowed because I was all over the guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've seen pictures, Billy. I've seen still pictures and it does look like it's kind of you're way up against him. And I'm thinking, well, that's a hell of a jump. That's a hell of a jump. Well, what I did, I jumped early, and then when he jumped, he pushed me up another two feet. Fantastic. <laughs> but it was just one of them things. It's like, if you get up early, you get above him, and obviously uh, foreign referees, they weren't the best, and they don't make contact. Yeah. Um, I was just so surprised. But to be honest with you, I think we football-wise, we, we almost played them off the park for about half an hour. Mm. And mm. when Mel scored, I mean, it was just oh. it was ridiculous. We were just... Couldn't believe that was our first game in Europe and going through to the next round. Yeah, yeah. Well, you say that. I would say Mel Sutton heads that ball in uh, on the seventy-third minute, and uh, and it went through the keeper's hands. Um, and so you know that gives you the lead on the night and three-two aggregate. I mean, you know, you have to hang on then for fifteen minutes uh, to finally win that tie. And then obviously the pitch invasion, mass celebrations. Uh, uh, John Neal. Uh, manager obviously at the time said my lad showed real courage and fighting spirit if this had been a storybook it would have been a bestseller uh i mean how does it feel to be a big european team you know because obviously the expectation was you know you're saying you're matching them you felt there wasn't much in it but it's still at the end of the day nobody was expecting you really to have beat a big european team well it was quite surprising but the most surprising thing is that Sutty scored a header and it never went over the bar. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that wasn't his game, obviously. But um, no, I, ju I just think uh, if you look at the players we had, uh, although we didn't have any England internationals, and that's not a big thing anyway, we had uh, quite a few Welsh internationals playing for us who played at the highest standard against you know the, the, these foreign teams. Uh, we probably had one of the best midfield, midfield players in the division with Arben. Uh, and Mel Sutton was just, he was an incredible player. He gets so much grief these days until you talk to people and say, 
if it wasn't for Mel, that team wouldn't have done anything. He was, he was a heartbeat throughout yeah, the team. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Wrexham's reward for the win that night was a second-round draw versus Yugoslav side Hajduk Split. And Split had six Yugoslav internationals in their side. But Wrexham played them off the park at home in October 1972 in front of over 19,000 fans, beating them 3-1. Brian Tinian scoring two, Dave Smallman scoring the third. All looked good, with the only fly in the ointment being a consolation goal by Split in the 83rd minute. Wrexham then visited Yugoslavia in November 1972, in front of 25,000 Yugoslav fans, minus that 200 Wrexham fans who again made their way over and they bayed at the Robins for 90 long minutes. Billy, I've got two words for you and I ask you please don't swear. Stanislav Ekstein, the Polish referee that night. Now many fans saw a large number of dubious decisions against us. Split got two penalties, scored both. Mickey Evans was sent off. The ref overruled an assistant who flagged for a foul on Eddie May as he was getting manhandled off the ball. Did you feel like you were playing 12 players that night? It was horrific from the time we got there. Uh, we actually were walking into the dressing rooms and, and outside the crowd were absolutely lunatics. And Dave Smallman had uh, like long hair at the time and they grabbed Dave by the hair and he was dragging him in and spitting on us. And I had to punch two of these fellas to let go of Dave. And we dragged him, we got into the dressing room. So we knew it was going to be white hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we went on the pitch and we thought, well, we've got two goal advantage on him. It's 11 against 11. And then, as you say, whatever that fella's name is, I think it's Polish for 12th man. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was an absolute disgrace. You speak to yeah. Arvin these days, and Arvin will say to you because he remembers it better than I do, actually. It was just, how can you, you send two players out? So I'd send Mickey off, yeah. give two penalties yeah. and, and give a free kick against somebody when the linesman said it was okay. Yeah, uh, It was just, if you think about the, the sort of Iron Curtain and these, these countries, then it's they stuff to get. It's like the Eurovision Song Contest. We didn't get a point for no. so many years. Yeah. And they were the same back then. Well, unfortunately, Wrexham lost 2-0 on that night, I'd say, with... No help from the officials, which was three all on aggregate, and unfortunately, split then went through on the away goals rule. But Wrexham didn't bow in shame, and more famous European nights were to come. That season, Wrexham finished 12th in Division 3, and Billy, you had 43 appearances, scored 15 goals. The start of the 73 74 season unfortunately saw Albert Kinsey depart for Crew Alexander and a pre-season jaunt where John Neal took you all over the Aberystwyth sand dunes, somewhere, Daz, which I know you are more than familiar with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Billy, that's, that's tough work. <laughs> Billy, it was obviously a different time then. What was what was pre-season training like kind of in the early 70s? I mean, you see now all these bleep tests. Wrexham today have started back with bleep tests and all this kind of stuff. What was pre-season training actually like back in the early 70s? Easy. <laughs> no. <laughs> when they said we were going to have a list with there was a lot more bleeps than a bleep test. <laughs> it was horrible. We used to get up in the morning at like at seven o'clock. We'd drive down to Both and we used to run from Both a couple of miles to the sand dunes yeah. so we could run around the sand dunes and then run back. And the gaffer used to say to me, Come on, big man, try and keep up with Mel. And I've told people before, Mel is part Kenyan. So when he runs, <laughs> you don't see him until he's on the, the, the pedestal at the end with his, the winner's medal around his neck. But, I mean, you can ask any player 
that went, I mean, Arthur was okay because he got away with most of it because he was always talking to John, but no player liked it. And then it was great because there was always me and Nosher at the back. We, we could never keep up with people. I went to Middlesbrough and I'd already done my pre-season training. And the following year, I thought, right, pre-season. And where does John take us? <laughs> the Middlesbrough lads didn't have a clue. They had no idea what this was going to be like. And I thought, I just, I didn't want to tell them because I didn't want to fall out with them. But I, I, I could lose a stone and weight on the bus getting there. <laughs> well, highlights of the 1973-74 uh, season were Wrexham getting to the fourth division. Uh, sorry, Wrexham getting to fourth in Division Three and uh, beating Shrewsbury Town. Rotherham United, Crystal Palace, Jack Charlton's Middlesbrough, that prompted that famous photo, obviously, of that year of the team dressed as undertakers, and Southampton to reach the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, only to lose 1-0 to Burnley. Now, Billy, you didn't play any games in that season of the FA Cup, but more importantly, you did stick two past Chester in the first round of the League Cup, which, me personally, I think there's much more than get managing to get to the quarterfinals of an FA Cup. 31 appearances. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking, but I, I didn't play any of the cup games, did no, I? No, none at all. I mean, was there a reason for it? Was it injury or you just weren't? No, it's just crap. <laughs> you, I, 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 I probably lost form and, and, and maybe it was lack of effort or something like that. And the gaffer said, because Jeff Davis came in and Jeff was brilliant. And he took my place. So you've got to hate the fellow, haven't you? But mm, absolutely. Yeah. we get on like a house on fire and it, it eventually it pushed me that little bit further. And Jeff up my game. Well, you still managed to make 31 appearances and score nine goals, so it can't have been that bad a season. And then moving on, obviously, to 1974-75, you made 28 appearances and scored eight goals. Wrexham finished 13th place, but capped the season with a 5-2 aggregate win in the Welsh Cup over Cardiff City. You scored two in the away leg at Ninian Park. Now, Daz and I both remember Ninian Park when we used to... When we used to go and watch Aberystwyth or Wrexham, and it, not a nice place to play, they they were it was quite a quite a horrible place. Obviously, you know, you, you scored two goals in that cup final. What was it like scoring two goals in a cup final where you knew it was kind of like I'm going to get my hands on that trophy? Well, that was the difference this year, wasn't it? Because we actually knew what it meant. Yeah, we we knew winning five two, we're through now and win the Welsh Cup, and it's like we've got this uh, trip abroad, and it's like. Okay, where serves the best beer? Well, Belgium's a really good place for beer. <laughs> we, we were thinking going up there, Spain would be nice. But it was, um, but the first time we did, we thought it was going to be a bit of a jaunt. But the second time, it was like, we can take this serious and we can do something. Mm. And it was, uh, we always thought it was, it was so important because of the money for the club as well. Yeah. Um, mm. And there's nothing better than walking out in front of, pretty much a full house mm. uh, under the lights at, at the, the race course. It was fantastic atmosphere. And so winning the Welsh Cup meant another venture into Europe. So obviously, apart from uh, the beers and everything, there are obviously, you know, other benefits. Uh, so Wrexham drew uh, a Swedish side, Jure uh, Gordon. I'm going to go Jure for Jure Gordon. I thought, I, well, that's how it's spelled, but I, I thought it was pronounced Jure Gordon's, but okay. I'm, that's my Swedish effort for you anyway. Anyway, um, in the first round, so and, and dispatched them 3 2 on aggregate. Second round, you drew the Polish side, uh, Stal Rezau. Uh, again, 
apologies on the pronunciation <laughs> uh because but then that was behind that was behind the iron curtain in those days of course uh first leg at home saw wrexham win 2-0 both goals scored by you billy of course. uh do you, what, what, yeah so what do you remember of those goals particularly don't need to remember that on YouTube now, I think. Uh, <laughs> two crosses, and one of them was just uh, somebody missed it on the near post and it went in off my knee. And the second one, it came another cross in and missed everybody. And then it kicked it with the right foot into the net. And it was just about being in the right place at the right time. And for me, they're better goals than like a 25 yard shot. Yeah. Doesn't matter how they go in, does it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to have that supply, though, don't you, though, to be in those right places. But you have to have the supply from the wings as well, don't you? Well, I mean, Mickey Thomas there on one side, yeah. uh, Budgie on the other side. There was crosses coming in. Oh, or Ian Moyer, if he's in the team. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we had lots of crosses coming in. Yeah, that's great stuff. Then Wrexham, of course, visited Poland for the return leg then in November 75. It was a tough match, but thanks to a goal from Mel Sutton, Wrexham drew one all, uh, winning 3-2 on aggregate. Uh, Wrexham are now through to the quarterfinals and drew European giants Anderlecht. <laughs> so the Belgian side contained Ariane, Robbie Ressenbrink, two of the 1974 great Dutch players. World Cup squad. Great so, Billy, what, what, was it, what was it like going up against players who had just been in that World Cup squad? Uh, and, and that particular team as well. It was absolutely fantastic. I mean, when, when we saw Robbie Rensenbrink, because um, they had um, Ludo Cuckoo played for Belgium as well, mm. Frankie van der Elst, who I spoke to many years later. Um, it was just a team of internationals, and it was like, we didn't have any fear. I mean, what we're going to do, we're going to go there, we'll either get battered or we'll get a decent result, but we're not going to go there and, and bow down to them. And to be honest, it was one of our better performances. I mean, it was what people say it was my best game ever mm. for, for Wrexham. Um, and I, I just think it was, I mean, I, did, I spoke to Frankie van der Elst uh, in a pre-season tournament in um, Bruges uh, with a, a mate of mine called Jan Sands, who played for 20 with me. And we were talking about the, the day we played them. And he said, it was just incredible. Mm. We couldn't believe that the football you played with the division and it wasn't until a few years later that we realised how low a division that is compared to what we were. Mm-hmm. We should have played you off the park. With, with no disrespect meant, obviously. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, Wrexham pushed Anderlecht hard in that first leg, holding them to a one-goal a one lead uh, before drawing at home 1-1 and losing 2-1 in aggregate. An absolutely remarkable result. From a, a from, for a side from Division Three, and Anderlecht, let's not forget, Anderlecht went on that year to win the competition because they beat West Ham in the final, didn't they? Yeah, so, absolutely. So you lost to the cup winners, something that absolutely you should be massively proud of. 75, 75, 76, Wrexham finished in sixth place. Billy, you made 56 appearances, scored 19 goals, which is nothing to be sniffed at at all. Then in 76, 77 was a season of great performances and results but so many near misses. You played 54 times. You scored 29 goals. You reached the fourth round of the FA Cup, semi-final of the Welsh Cup, fourth round of the League Cup, beating Leicester City and Tottenham Hotspur on the way. Pat Jennings was in goal, the great Northern Ireland goalkeeper between the post for Tottenham. Billy, you scored at White Hart Lane against Pat Jennings. You rounded Willie Young and struck an absolute 15-yard worldie. What, what was that like? It was actually 30 yards. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like I mean, fishing. It was this big. Yeah, you've got to go further out. It, yeah. this, it was great because it was um, 
I, I probably I think it's one of the best performances I've seen from from Wrexham. Yeah. Mickey Thomas that day was just unplayable. He mm. scored two goals, and then I got the third, as you say. Mm. Uh, and John Neal said to me, uh, "If you get a chance uh, to have a shot, take it early, because this Pat Jennings is a great keeper, but he's really, really brave, and he'll come right to your feet." So as soon as I turned uh, the big leg, Willie Young, it was on the wrong foot anyway for me, left foot. But I just seen Pat starting to run out. Mm. I just killed around the corner. I mean, it was nothing special. It was it was special because of the night, because mm. uh, it's a fabulous place. White Hart Lane was great was, to play. It was a great game, mm. yeah. But uh, I see it wasn't the greatest of goals, but it was just it, it was three nil, and it was just uh, to actually go on and win three two. I know we were knackered at the end, and we know a couple of coaches got uh, smashed on the way back, <laughs> but it was just it was just a great great night out for us. Well, obviously that season, Wrexham's big push, though, was in the league. You were going for promotion, you had five games to go, and it was all in Wrexham's hands. But two draws, three losses, including a heartbreak last day loss to Mansfield uh, for Wrexham to get promoted. Now, Billy, I know from photos and from stories of the time how inconsolable you were. I'm not going to ask you how you felt, because we all know, we all get it. But why do you think... Wrexham couldn't quite get over the line. Was it too many games? Obviously, Arvin Griffiths was injured, wasn't he, towards the end of the season? Was his was his loss? What What do you think was the reason why we couldn't quite just get over that line? Well, Arvin was a massive loss. I mean, if you lose somebody like that, it, it's pr- pretty much irreplaceable. And to be honest with you, halfway through the season, I broke my jaw and cheekbone and was told I wasn't going to play again that season. But it was so important. I was back within, I think it was four games. Uh, I think between us, me, Nosher and Shinner, we scored 86 goals. So I don't think it was a lack of goals and mm. I don't think it was a bad defending. I just think um, really bad luck against Palace. I, mm. I talked to Rashid Harkook about it now and he said we couldn't believe the way he just collapsed in that last 10 minutes. Mm. And, and I think because we were so down after that game and then we went into the Mansfield game, I, I just we were up for it. But we knew that we could be disappointed. And I just think maybe it was that one game too far for us. Mm. I mean, it was it was such a massive shame. I mean, I mean, obviously, all the fans just wanted it so much. The thing is, you know, you're human beings at the end of the day. And like you say, you know, football is not just about a physical game. It's also a mental game as well, isn't it? And it doesn't take much to maybe, you know, just a little bit here, a little bit there. Like I say, a bad turn here, a bad turn there. But we, we saw as fans how hard you all tried. And that's why there's a great photograph as I was doing the research for this and you know looking through my memory, my scrapbooks and whatever. There's a great picture of you coming off the, uh, the pitch at that Mansfield game. And you've got two, the, obviously the fans are gone on the pitch at the end. You've got two fans and they've got their arms around you. You're, you've got your head in your hands as you're walking off. But he's got your arms around you. And all he's doing, he's got his hands up and he's absolutely chanting and he's rubbing your hair. And you'd think, you would think we won it. But that's how proud the Wrexham fans were. Oh, you have to send that to me. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen it. I'll dig it out. I'll dig it out for you because it's a it's an absolutely fantastic, oh, yeah, brilliant, fantastic photo. Obviously, Wrexham not getting promoted that season was compounded then by longtime manager John Neal moving to Middlesbrough, and then only a couple of games into the next season, taking you with him for hundred and twenty thousand pound. Now there are pluses and minuses to that. We'd lost John obviously as a fantastic manager. We'd lost you as an amazing player, but the money that we got for you gave us the war chest to buy players like Di Davis. So 
there are pluses and there are minuses. Obviously, you've been at Wrexham for seven years at that point. How hard was it for you to go? Unbelievable. Uh, I think it was the same with John. If if we'd have got promotion, we wouldn't have left. Mm-hmm. And and it, it might have been the same the following season. But I say when you when you think well, I'm an Evertonian, so I'm used to losing anyway. <laughs> but you know, you, you lose a game, you come home, uh, you you might stay in because you, you don't really want to go out and see anybody. But you're over it in a couple of days because. You've got another game coming, but with it being the last game of the season, it was gone. The frustration was ridiculous. I, you couldn't speak to anybody. Uh, I didn't go to the shops. I, I didn't go back to Liverpool to see the parents. Uh, and I just I just found it so hard. Uh, but I didn't want to leave. I mean, I was quite happy at Wrexham. And then when John went uh, and he said to me, I'm, I'd like to take you with me. You know, and I, I just thought... I've always wanted to play at Goodison Park yeah. and uh, Old Trafford and Main, uh, not Liverpool. They can go do one. <laughs> but I wanted to play against the big teams because I always thought when we played big games uh, against Anderlecht, Spurs and stuff like that, I really enjoyed it. I loved pitting my wits against the players. And when John went and he phoned me up, he said, right, um, Arvin's given me uh, permission to talk to you. Uh, it wasn't a difficult decision, but as you say, we bought Dixie and we bought Die, yeah. and I think mm-hmm. if I had stayed, I, I could have been really stale that year and, and still on the downer. Uh, but Dixie and Die were the catalyst; they're, they're the ones that give us that final push. Well, although Wrexham obviously didn't get promoted in '77, twelve months later, Wrexham stormed the league, quarter final of the FA Cup, fifth round of the League Cup, winner of the Welsh Cup. Now, many credits uh, Arvin Griffiths and the side from that year. But we strongly believe that all the groundwork for that successful season was laid years before by players like yourself and by the manager, John Neal. Uh, for me, John is a bit of an unsung hero uh, because he organised the club. You know, We went almost from a semi-amateur club to a proper professional setup of uh, played at a high profile. I'm going to ask you, because obviously you had a, a really close relationship with him, how good a manager was John Neal? Probably the best best I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, you speak to Bill Shankly, oh, sorry, you, you listen to what Bill Shankly said, and he said it was one of the best footballing teams he's seen outside of the Premiership or oh, the old first oh. division. But mm. if you spoke to John, you couldn't speak to him like 10 yards away because you'd never hear him. He never raised his voice. Everything was calm. It was always on the level. But he also knew that if somebody needed an arm putting around them, that, that's what he'd do. But if you need to kick up the backside, he was the man to do it. Mm. But it, it, tactically, I mean, as you said before, we, we, we went to Switzerland and we went to Anderlecht and we went to these places. And I think we did ourselves proud. We weren't disgraced. And it was down to him. Also, Arvin has to come into that because Arvin was his right-hand man mm. and they they spoke about it together. But tactically, and don't forget, I went to Middlesbrough with him and Middlesbrough went from being uh, what they call boring, boring, borough <laughs> to a, a really, really good yeah. uh, premiership team with the yeah. likes of Craig Johnson and Dave Hodgson and people have coming yeah. through. Graeme Sunes was there. So John knew what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, but I don't... Certain 
places that Chelsea will give him the credit he deserved, Middlesbrough do, but Wrexham, they loved him there. And mm. what they should have done with those flats was not called them the John Neal flats, but name a stand after them. Definitely. Definitely agree, and I mean, I mean, you know, as part as part of the pod, you know, we're suggesting we do we're doing a piece this week on the history of the racecourse and where we see its future, and we would like to push to be able to mark, you know, players and managers from our past and make sure they are prominent, particularly particularly part of the new build because they deserve their name to be recognised, not just by old farts like me who who certainly remember the time, but the the newer generations who. You know, are now reaping the rewards of the club's success. Yeah, but don't call it the Billy Ashcroft toilet for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> we'll remember that when we put the notes in. <laughs> Billy, if I can, I'm going to give you some players' names uh, of players that you played with. And can you give me a short description of what you thought of them, whether it be, you know, their professional nature, how good a player, or just, you know, a personal reaction? So if I just name some, some players for you. So first up, in goal, Brian Lloyd. Brian, top keeper, very clever. He's the guy who designed the uh, Antlet the Home programme. But also, I class him as a friend. Um, when you play football with certain people, you can have people that you've got in the team who they might not be your mate. You know, they're, they're like part of your team and, and you, you've got the respect for them, but you, you wouldn't go for a bevy with them and they wouldn't be your mate. But Lloydy, he's a top guy, top keeper. Gareth Davis. Oh, love the bones of him. He was class on and off. He was the guy that sort of got us to blend from being in the youth team to the first team. We'd look at him and he just, he, he looked magnificent when we were young lads. He, he had the suits on, uh, shoes polished, shaved, go up the pitch. And, and he was like Beckenbauer. Everything he did had that little touch of class. And I mean, I've, I've spoke to him since, and you know, he's very poorly. And mm. uh, God, I could cry for the man, but I, again, a mate, Dave Fogg. Nah, <laughs> he, he was a right nah, he's so honest to God. <laughs> Do you know, I saw him around Goodison Park not so long ago, a couple of years back, and he said he's been ill. and he said, if the doctor said if it wasn't for me being a footballer, he said, I, I probably would have died though with me heart. And when I was looking, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, you're not going to need that coat. I was just going to see if it fitted me. <laughs> <laughs> and he never laughed and he just walked off. And I thought, well, I was only joking. <laughs> but I mean, we were great mates, but now oh, he said, nah, you bugger. Albert Kinsey. Albert, proper goal scorer, old school though. Wouldn't describe him as a mate. He was a, a teammate. He used to give me a lift back to um, Runcorn, leave me in Runcorn and make me get all the way to Garston, which is about 10 miles away. <laughs> oh, and he'd take petrol money off me. <laughs> but, yeah, he was a, a great lad, Albert. He was a, a proper, proper goal scorer. Eddie May. Eddie, massive character. Again, I wouldn't say uh, mate. We, we were good friends and that, but we didn't go for a beer. Um, but, you know, he was, he was one of the dressing room. Uh, he was the one that like pumping his fists and getting everybody going. And I remember we had um, a friend at the race course and Harry Craig was manager of Shrewsbury. And I think it was uh, George Wood and Eddie started fighting. And Harry shouted, let him fight and get out of the system. <laughs> and they were knocking seven bells out of each other. We just played football. But yeah, big character, Eddie. 
Dave Smallman. Smokey. Um, probably the most natural, natural finisher at the club. I was Dave's best man, by the way. Uh, and he's still my great mate. I mean, still, we phone each other every so often. And when I go over there, I, I always call him to see him. Uh, but what would you call him? Um, probably the most unluckiest player I've ever seen. He should have been gone on to be one of the Everton greats, uh, a Welsh great. And God love me, it didn't happen for him because of injuries, not because of talent. Brian Tinian. Budgie. Yeah, another one old school. Again, teammate rather than mate, but again, a friend. Uh, real hard worker, good cross of a ball. Couldn't understand a word he said because he's from Workington, but <laughs> he'd always give you that supply of the ball, you know what I mean? He's always there for you. Graham Whittle. Again, mate, and in my opinion, the best ever Wrexham player. Wow. Uh, I, roomed, I roomed with Graham. And he had two dangerous feet and a dangerous mouth. If you stood in front of him when he was eating, you could get absolutely <laughs> destroyed. That's why we call him Nosher. But, it, I mean, it was just on repair. I think he took size three shoes or something like that. And when we were playing um, practice matches and putting crosses in, you know, players now are getting uh, problems with the, the, the memories and that because of heading the ball. Yeah. Graham made sure that you were going to get problems later in life because he would <laughs> smash it as hard as you could wow. and expect you to get on the end of it. But, God, oh, my, what a player he was. I just, again, very unlucky with his injuries, with his um, cartilages. Yeah. Noddy, Mickey Thomas. Mate, nutter, bundle of energy, great cross of the ball, and he works so hard. He's, he's just... He's one of the nicest blokes. He'd, he'd lie to you and tell you he's a Man United supporter, but he, he took all my Everton brokers and mocked me when I was a, he was a kid. Because <laughs> uh, he was Nevertonian. And he phoned me up not so long ago. He said, I bought you a painting from Largy. You know Largy's art? Yeah. He said, I'll leave it at um, Formby Golf Club for you. So he buggered off. I turned up in a Mini, because that's my learner's car. And this thing I needed a trailer to put it in <laughs> and I had all the fellas from the golf club trying to fit it into me car and it was sticking at the back I thought he's done this on purpose but it's fantastic it's in pride of place in my house now Joey Jones nutter absolute nutter 100% <laughs> when you seen him play he was the same in train but a absolutely wonderful person I mean, I, I still speak to Joe every so often now. And the guy won all kinds of stuff at Liverpool. He's probably the biggest legend ever, never had, sorry, that uh, Wrexham have ever had. Mm. And he just doesn't care. He's just like one of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I've just, mm. I, I, well, I played footy once. Yeah. He's just, he's such a wonderful, wonderful person. Mm. Mel Sutton. Again, underrated. Uh, he was the engine room that we had. I watched the Anderlecht game the other day. Uh, Toby Clark sent me a copy of it on, on uh, Twitter or, or email. Uh, and I watched, and it was like, are we just pumping the ball up to me? Or, and what it was, Gareth got the ball, and Mel would come running back, pick the ball up, and play intricate passes with, with Arvin. And I, I was looking at him thinking, they're the international players in their team. But we actually played as much football as they did in the match. 
And Mel was the one. He was always there, available. But yeah, underrated. And how people say uh, he was crap. And because I hear it, and it's like, if anybody says that while I'm there, it's like, you need to answer they're to me. Not, because, they, don't, they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, they don't know what he was about at all. fantastic player. Absolutely. Bobby Shinton. Shinner. Oh, God almighty. He, another great mate. And he's one of them players who could get you the crossing from the dugout. You know what they say about Messi? He could, he could not make a mermaid. Mm. Well, Shinner could get you the cross from the dugout. Mm. Uh, he's one of them players that when you knock the ball into him, it sticks. And I played with a lot of wingers in my day who just keep taking people on and coming back and that. Bob always knew when he needed to take somebody on to give somebody time in the middle. And he always knew when to release the ball and, and get in. And that's why we scored all that goals that season. And yeah. Bob turned up with 20-odd goals as well. Yeah. But again, he's a, he's a, a real good bloke, you know, a real good mate. And finally, Arvon Griffiths. Great player, absolute great player. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I was stuck with Arvon for seven years or whatever, and that's what I thought. And what I should have thought was, I've got this lad for seven years, listen to him, and I should have listened to him more. He never ever once tried to give me bad advice. It was always positive. And I just thought, I, sh I should have listened more. And I think if I listened more, I, I would have turned out to be a better player. But in saying that, if that's the, the final one, there's two other people that I would always put on that list anyway, which is Mickey Evans, probably the most reliable player I've ever seen and the only player I've ever seen Mark George best out of a game. Wow. Uh, and Ian Moyer. Oh, yeah. Ian Moyer. Yeah, yeah. He's everybody's favourite player. Everybody that you meet from the club and you talk about who's your favourite player, they all say, we love Ian. Hmm. The sweetie man. He's, <laughs> ah, he'd give you this last 10 pence. Hmm. Absolutely beautiful soul. Yeah. So moving forward, Billy, many fans have compared Wrexham's current squad to that sort of 60, uh, 76, 77, 78 squad. Uh, do you see any of the similarities between the two that have been talked about? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you think about goal scorers, uh, one of Wrexham's best goal scorers was Graham Will, and you've got a lad now who can score from anywhere, which is pretty much, that was Graham's forte. Um, Big Palmer, I mean, uh, he's not like me, I think he's a better player than I was, but it, it's the similar job that he does. Mm, yeah. Then in the midfield, you've got Davis and Young, we have Mel and uh, Griff. Mm -hmm. uh, Shin is on my sort of top 10 list, but we've got Elliot Lee at the ground now, and I watched him playing last season, and an awful lot of stuff goes through him, you know, he really plays well. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Mendy, who I rate so highly, mm. um, I sort of would compare him to, to Alan Dwyer maybe, and then you've got uh, Toza, sorry, I couldn't think of his name, Toza and Gareth Davis, solid yeah, at the back. Course. Yeah. And then two good keepers, Foster, but we also have Dave Gaskell as well, don't yes. forget, and yes. Brian Lloyd. Yes. So there are comparisons, but I'm just hoping that this team now goes on and outshines and people can stop talking how good we were and say this team is such such a better team. No, it'll it'll they'll take a lot for them to I'm sorry, but they'll take a lot to that that'd be good, won't it? Because that shine. means that they will have done it, they'll have chucked themselves yeah, to absolutely. another level. Right, but it right. sounds like, but it sounds like you do watch them a lot, though. You following them in in uh, as a, as a supporter as much as a former player. It sounds. 
I follow. The strange thing is, I did um, not too long ago. I did a, a, a documentary for the SPN about my time at FC Twenty, and I was invited over to the Oval game, and I did a talk at the uh, My Squint, and we filmed it in there. And I just found myself that when I went out looking at the teams, I was I, I knew what the players were doing, and I knew what park he's got mm. sort of in store for them, and I knew what he wanted them to do. And I was thinking, he's doing his job. This one's not doing it. And then the second half, you can see the parties at a word. Mm. So although we've got a great team, we've got a really good manager, haven't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. So the big question, would a Billy Ashcroft, son of Kong, at the height of his powers, get into the current Wrexham side? I don't think so. No. Um, I would love to have played with Mullen and, you know, yeah, get yeah. in there to knock the ball down. But also, I mean, how Dixie says the same with me. He'd love to have played the season with me. Mm. And I'm exactly the same. I would have loved to have one season with Dixie. Mm. Uh, I just think we'd have played off each other so well. Absolutely. Um, but um, me getting in, I don't think so. I think there's been much better players than me that should be in there before me. So the final question we ask, and we ask all our guests this one. So, can you name your all-time Wrexham five-a-side team? Now, you can include yourself if you want, and you can have a running keeper. So you don't have to pick a keeper. You can have five outfield players. But if you were going to set up an all-time Wrexham five-a-side team, who would be the five players you'd put in there? Okay, so you can pick the goalkeeper because goalkeepers are crap. Anyway. You think you play <laughs> You'd want to play out anyway, Clouds of Trump. But if, if I had to pick a team... I've got to go for Mickey Thomas. Yeah. And Arvin. Right. Okay. And then I would have Shinner, mm-hmm. Nosher, and Smokey. And I would look after the Wrexham Lager for when they all come off <laughs> later. <laughs> that's it. Mind you, as a five, that's a, that's a hell of a that's a hell of a five, isn't it? I would Yeah, we're, we're not defending by the way. No, no I was no, gonna no, say, say there's it's no all, defense. It's all front and no, <laughs> and no back. It's gonna be high scoring, that's for sure. That's what five aside should be about though, let's be honest. <laughs> we just get Mickey T. Mickey T run up and down and tackle yeah, you do anything. You'd be fine. Well, Billy, this has been an absolutely amazing trip uh, uh, in in Wrexham history for us. Many Wrexham fans look at you and the, you know all the players that we've just talked about as club legends and people who have served the town with passion and with honour. Thanks so much for coming on, and we really hope to speak to you again in the near future. Guys, you're more than welcome, and anytime, just give me a ring and say with all the supporters, I'll talk to them all day because I love the place. Thanks, Billy. You take care. Thank you, Billy. You're welcome. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye now. That's your lot for this week's Eat More Chips podcast, the official podcast of one of the greatest Welsh football supporters flags ever seen. Riding off into the sunset, my thanks as always go to our two gunslingers, Dangerous Daz. Yeehaw. And Jamie the Kid. Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, man. You've you got the kids. I mean, I would take that, man. Yeah, but, We're not that, that yeah, much older, but, but you, take the kids, man. You said yeehaw. You stole the the, the only cowboy bit I could say. Yeehaw. You stole it. So I didn't really know. Well, that. you could always you could always go yippee kaye or something, but you know. Really, yeah. Well, if you, have enjo- if you have enjoyed listening to The Bickering, please support the podcast, <laughs> like, subscribe and leave a comment, as we really like to hear what you say. 
even if we argue about it. You can still find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. You can also go to our social media, such as Twitter, at TweetMoreChips, or drop us an email, eatmorechipspodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Instagram, eatmorechipspodcast, and on Facebook, search for the Eat More Chips Podcast group. You can leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening on, and if you have anything in particular you'd like us to discuss, please feel free to drop us a line. I'm Marshall Welsh Techie, and as always, <laughs> thanks for moseying up and listening in. This well, this wrap up has really gone hard, doesn't it? Um, until until next week. <laughs> until next week, come on, Cymru, and come on the town.